Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the final episode of Series 10 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, HR functions with people analytics teams have been pivotal in coordinating and leading responses to the crisis in companies all around the world. One such company is Indian multinational giant Wipro, which found it had to suddenly contend with 150,000 remote workers in India alone. My guest on this week's episode of the podcast is Renal Kumar, Vice President and Global HR Head at Wipro, who is the personification of the modern HR leader, business-focused, data-driven, technologically savvy, inclusive and collaborative. In our conversation, Renault and I discuss how people, data and analytics enables hyper-personalization across Ripwo's 200,000 plus global employee workforce. We look at how a powerful people analytics project at Wipro delivered quantifiable value to the business, as well as revealing some interesting insights on the impact of team size and promotions. We look at how to infuse HR professionals with the skills needed to be more data-driven and why experimentation, starting small and getting hands-on drives progress. We look at organisational network analysis and how this can be applied in sales and customer service. And we also look at what HR can do to prepare their organisations for an increase in remote and hybrid working. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in how HR can drive significant value in large multinational businesses. So that's business leaders, CHROs, and anyone in an HR leadership, people analytics, or HR business partner role. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for series 10 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Panelit bridges the people data gap enabling real-time uniform access to relevant people data, reports and insights for CXOs, HR and business managers. People data, including employee interactions and connections, is combined with business data, catalyzing new insights and intelligence. Predictive analytics moves the business from reactive to proactive, identifying correlations and points of intervention. The people-enhanced data movement empowers businesses to leapfrog to data-driven decision-making, eliminating bias and improving engagement, sales effectiveness, productivity, and as a result, business performance. Headquartered in Singapore, the company has a global footprint of clients, as well as a diverse team and cultural perspective. You can find out more by visiting panalyt.com. That's P-A-N-A-L-Y-T.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Renal Kumar, Vice President and Global HR Head at Wipro to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the show, Renal. Please, can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and role at Wipro? Thank you, David. I'm also delighted to be on this podcast. So I've been a career HR person all my life for the last 20 odd years. I lived and worked outside India, currently where I'm based. Through the journey, one thing has been constant for me. I've been very close to business. I love to experiment, I like to play around, I like to kind of put it back together and see how it works. And that in most times helped in problem solving as such. One area that I've been specifically interested in has been sales and sales processes and sales adequacy, sales systems. And a second area which I've been also been working quite a bit is in the MA in the international HR perspective. Great. And I know we're going to talk a bit about some of those themes uh, in some of the topics we've got later, I think, uh, particularly in the relation to, to analytics and how that can help HR, you know, really drive outcomes in the business. 
What, what I'm interested first, though, Renault, is you know what has what has been the impact um, of the crisis uh, uh, on Wipro, and and what has been the work of the HR leadership team to try and help the organisation respond. In one word, it's learning. It's been a fantastic learning for us. So we got ready early, but nonetheless, we were always challenged. But I think, long story short, uh, we did fantastically well as a, as as an industry and as a company. Probably moved about 150,000 employees. To work from home without even having to test it once, which is unimaginable. What I also saw happening was that uh, collaboration of different teams. We, I started off a weekly call and we had all the teams. And everybody was coming together and trying to do their best. But what happened, the most interesting part, which I was really interested in, was the fact that all the data that we had in our systems, we use SAP, was no longer useful. We probably have you know, more than 150,000 people in India. And do I know where they are right now? Do I know are they safe because our whole premises of Wipro in, in terms of employees. If I know that, how can I help them in other ways to, to get down to their work and settle down in their work? So we worked largely on desktops. Now imagine carrying a desktop to a hometown 200 kilometers away. Is that possible? As HR, we did a bunch of gathering of data. We used extensive amount of uh, Microsoft forms and other, other forms of other ways of getting information in real time of where the employees were. And that helped us in a big way in deciding what we do and how we do things. So we also had some interesting experiences. You know, we had to charter flights, which we never did in my life, to get people from who were standard in the US or in Australia. So we had a bunch of different experiences. But at the end of all of this, what I saw was that we ended up playing uh, one of the most important roles in getting all the teams together and making sure really things happen. Yeah, it's certainly something, you know, I've seen from talking to your peers in other organizations that HR has really come to the, the fore during this crisis. And as you mentioned, data has been an important part of that. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking you now that sort of on a wider perspective, just not just look, linked to the crisis. How does data support you in your role as, a, as an HR leader in, in Wipro? I've been close to data and analytics for a long time. One is employee experience. You know, I've been very close to uh, ensuring that we have a hyper-personalized environment for engagement. And that, in a context of a 200,000 people organization, is a different meaning altogether. How do I make sure that person gets what he or she wants? Can I get them individual attention to what they want? Can, they, can I get to speak to them individually? On a periodic basis, can I plug that all back into our systems and processes? So hyper personalization is one major area I think where I've been personally interested, and I've seen a lot of results around that. Second is uh, it's all about information, right? Information to HR teams, information to employees, and finally, I think uh, the most important part for me as a HR practitioner has been that this helps to quantify what value HR brings to the table to the business. I'm able to really quantify it just beyond saying attrition is so much. I'm able to say this is the level of risk that we carry in, and I'm able to qualify it. Brilliant. Well, we're certainly going to dig into the, the, the first one, I think. You know, you're clearly pa very passionate about how analytics can provide hyper personalization. Can you talk a little bit about your experience here around how you've personalized HR services for, for employees? Yeah, for me, it, that journey actually started out by coincidence. It just happened. So, what we did was rigorous data for three years, 36 months, to see patterns of how and why people are reacting given a certain social stimuli. So let me give an example. Where do you think attrition is more, is higher? Is it in a smaller team or in a larger team where you have, you have managers and 
the whole structure the way. Where do you think is higher normally? Larger teams have got better attention, better managers, better focus from the company. Smaller teams do not have that. On an average, what I found is at least 300 to 400 basis points is higher in smaller teams. I'll give you another example, right? And this is all came out, you know, with that three-week study four, five years back, and I've seen the pattern the last four years, nothing has changed. It's remained the same. That's that's also interesting. Most managers come and tell me I want to I want to kind of retain somebody, I want to promote somebody. What do you think happens when you promote somebody? <laughs> I would usually my intuition would say if you promote someone, you you drive higher engagement from them. But I think you're going to tell me something different, aren't you? <laughs> you're not getting the trend, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, that's exactly what happened, and I'll explain to you why. Especially amongst the youngsters, they do a bunch of stuff, they get qualified, and they finally get promoted. They don't want to wait for another three to four years to get promoted again. And there you are, they're going to the next company, trying to make sure that they get the promotion there. Long story short, uh, we, we did an extensive amount of work on that. We understood what are the patterns. And we drew up six different priority levels of who are the people who are potentially ready to, about to go to the, in the company. Question is, what do you want to do with this? I, for one, I've been a big fan of making sure that we kind of digitize engagement. And that's never been easy. So uh, what we did subsequent to that was to try and build an, uh, an, uh, an application which uh, was built from scratch. In the front end, it was pretty simple. It had, at best, about 25, 26 questions, depending on what you choose as, as options. But the best part of the whole thing was it could be answered by the HR person in 90 seconds. That was the rule. In 90 seconds, I should be able to capture my half an hour conversation with you. And that gave us enormous and powerful insights. And now as a third step, what we ended up doing is started plugging in all this data into all the HR processes to make the circle complete. So let me give an example again here. As an employee, he or she says that she wants to get promoted. Conversation happened four months back. The promotion cycle, which we happen, happens once or twice a year, depending on which company you're talking about, happens eventually. When the nominations come, I'm able to see the employees even qualified. If the employee is not qualified, we write an email. Hey, employee, you wanted to be progress last time when we spoke, but I guess you're not qualified. I'd like to kind of upfront tell you about that. That's one step. Second step is manager is not nominated. Now I go back to the manager and say, hey, manager, this employee has expressed an interest to be promoted next cycle. Are you considering or is it, is it okay for you to let go? If the manager comes back and says, no, no, I'll consider it. I want to, I'm not going to promote him. We then flag it back to go and talk to the employee and close the loop. And this is applied for anything. If I have a certain set of employees, give me a feedback on a manager. I'm able to immediately start a 360 degree for the manager. We had multiple use cases built around this. And finally, you know, beyond all of this process that we could bring this particular tool into, what gave us a lot more insights was all the data analytics that we got built. This is the risk profile in your, in your set of business. And these are the 30% people who are at risk. These are the 30% of people who probably have problems with their managers. If I'm to just summarize, what happened uh, four years back was that our uh, attrition rates went down by almost 500 to 600 basis points. And in both the businesses that we managed this. Now, fast forward that, I went, I moved into a new business unit just about 18, 20 months back. I started the same process all, all over again. And again, the attrition went down more than 700 basis points and much it was best in class in the company. It's been a long journey, and we've been we've been adding to it regularly. It's become it looks very simple in the face of it, but a lot of stuff has been added up behind it, and it's become a very powerful engine today.
And of course, the more data you put in, uh, the, the 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 better the the predictive um, power becomes as well. Try these different things to action it, because I guess it's all very well, as you said, it's all very well identifying uh, from the analytics, but then you have to put it into practice and action it as well. So it sounds like you've done an amazing job of, about doing that, given the the improvements that have been made. One area that we I find when I speak to a lot of um, of your peers around the world is the challenge around how do you improve the capabilities of HR professionals when it comes to being more data-driven. So I'd be interested about, obviously, you've worked in a couple of few business units at, at Wipro. How do you go about infusing your team, your HR team, with the skills they need to be more data-driven? I've always found that, uh, with due respect to my teams, uh, I've always been found most HR teams and HR team members have been some have been people who have been more attuned to a softer part of HR. And they normally shy away from the harder part of HR and analytics and logic and program management per se. So I've been trying to do this by encouraging all the teams that I work and the peers that I work with, been trying to always experiment and, and do stuff around the analytics in HR. So one thing that I've been, I've been always saying is that people have to start small. There's nothing, you can't build something overnight big. You have to keep nibbling on all sides. You have to keep chipping in inch by inch, and then eventually you get to something which makes a meaningful exercise for the company or for yourself. Uh, in terms of, uh, in the, sorry, in the other point that I had with my teams was that uh, we always wanted to make sure that we build stuff which is not probably what we use in our day-to-day -day work, but look at some stuff which probably may add value to us or the company eventually. So I've always wanted my teams to to experiment and build projects around stuff which they're not directly responsible for. And for example, they can pick up a small project which uh, can make a difference for a certain team that they work with. And these projects are typically something that they would not be normally using in, in the day-to-day work. And finally, the way I see it is that until somebody is hands-on, they'll never get to the end of it. Because even as a leader, right? Uh, Unless you're hands-on and you're working in, in the data, you see a lot more insights than if you just get presented a set of slides on data. I've always found that extremely helpful. Not every manager and not every team leader is comfortable with that, but I really think that managers and employees alike in HR should regularly dirty their hands with a bunch of data. How small, how big, doesn't make a difference. Yeah, it's all about it's all about learning, as you said, and being a bit more comfortable experimenting and stepping out of the comfort zone sometimes and developing yourself as a as an HR professional, because let's be honest, you know, all HR professionals are going to be have to be date driven to an extent if they want to further their careers and add value to the businesses that they're supporting. So um, so like, I really like those pieces of advice there. Talking about that. Um, what advice would you offer to other HR leaders about about implementing technology and analytics in in their organisations? So here, I here is I see data analytics as something that has to be in the day of work. And today, what's happening is that most people make an elephant out of it. So I think that's the first thing you should definitely make sure that. Uh, and this is this is where I compare it to Johari Window, where you end up end up seeing on one side, a big black box. On the one side of the black box is HR practitioners. 
on the other side is a bunch of companies offering whatever HR technology or even what's there in Microsoft or wherever it is. If one does not look at both sides and start reducing the black box in whichever way you can, you don't get to any part of analytics. So I think it's most important for people to start small again and, and, and label it at the ends like we do for the employees. Other thing that I've been very interested in, I've been experimenting a lot is marrying disjoint data, which means don't restrict yourself to data in HR. It could be data from sales teams. It could be marketing data. I've normally shied away from using data in the social space because that's not going to be easy. But whatever is there within the company, and that could be in workforce planning, it could be anywhere. And that's given me immense, you know, immense insights. I was going to say one thing on that. I like the way you brought out the sales data because I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to solve business problems just with HR data. And that's where I think, as you said, the power comes in when you blend those data sources together. So investigating sales, for example. Yeah. So, you know, at, at the end of all of this, the, what's happening, and like you said, is that the boundaries between functions are getting blurred. As soon as you get into HR, it's more of people analytics. It's, you know, it's less of HR analytics and more of people analytics that we see. And it's everything about a person that one needs to get to know and that's not known by just looking at HR systems. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Have you got, I mean, have you got any examples around that, around how you've maybe, I don't know if it's in sales or, or, or in other functions of the business um, where you kind of brought those data sources together? Dealt a lot, like I said at the beginning, I'm very close to sales and sales function. So uh, one, I, I can look at two areas, right? One, you know, we did not have real-time data for our sales force. If I put in a deal of half a million, will my incentive go up by 10K? That is a question that I wanted to ask myself about two or three years back. And at the end of that, we built a tool which was giving real-time information to sales and sales folks on the ground. And that tool became also a tool where we could also encourage sales employees. And we said, if somebody does so-and-so in this month, they get an extra incentive. So we built a particular tool around that, and that went really well within the sales team because they could get real-time information which they didn't have in the past. It also helped managers because they could see what team what teams were doing in real-time, which is not possible otherwise. The other area of sales which I've been working on is in the ONA. That's an area which I've been particularly interested in over the last two years. I spent a lot of time trying to develop concepts and trying to experiment with stuff there. So that's been also great interest for me. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about network analytics myself. And, and actually, um, I, we've just, um, I think the episode before this one that's published was with Michael Arena. Uh, so a lot of stuff around, you know, uh, understanding your social capital and using it to to help drive innovation and, and, and lots of other use cases within ONA. So I'd love to hear a bit more about some of the stuff you're doing with ONA. So, you know, I actually started off with ONA with more from HR viewpoint uh, two years back. But then I realized the potential of ONA is just restricted when you just use it for HR. What I see is that we can use this wherever there's a relationship involved. And let me explain this. You can use it when you have a sale. And that's a relationship between the buyer and the seller, which is you. You can use it when you have a contract in place to see what's happening. And if, if I'm, you know, 
I've been working on this concept and I've given a few of the ideas to a couple of startups that I work pro bono. And one of them actually probably taken it live at this point in time. So I gave them a couple of use cases. Let's look at a deal. And last deal happens because there are multiple sets of people involved on this side and multiple sets of people involved on the other side. Now, if we know that the strength of relationship at any given point in time of deal in the deal is known and measured, we can very easily predict, predict if the deal is going to come our way or not. If we know that our relationships are stronger in the right departments, which are buying and not just procurement or whatever else, I know that we can definitely probably win the deal or not win the deal. It tells managers, hey, we are on the wrong path. Maybe we should relook at it. Can we address and try to build strength in one of the areas of weakness that we find in the relationship? I really think that's going to be a huge plus for many sales departments. It's going yeah, to be a huge yeah. plus to sales managers and leaders. Yeah, and it's and it's great because it's a signal, isn't it? It's a signal during the process, so you can. It's almost acts as a as a warning that you need to improve those relationships if you if you're going to potentially win or increase your chances of winning the sale. So yeah, yeah, it's very powerful. So you know, just to extend that, right? I've you know there are multiple use cases of that, and I probably use a couple of more so that I can bring to life what I'm trying to say out here. We, we hire hunters. Hunters are somebody who look at net new companies whom we don't work with. Now, the success rate is, is not so great because it's, it's really out there in the market, starting with cold calls, and then getting on the building of relationship and then showcasing capability. If I bring a hunter on board, most often, you know, most hunters end up going out of the company in one and a half years, two years time because they don't, make, don't see success. Now, if I'm a manager of a hunter and I see that he has been asked Tasked to look at three customers, and I look at the strength of relationship one month down the line, two months down the line, three months down the line, six months down the line. I can then coach that individual and tell him, I think you got you're really strong with customer number one, maybe not as strong with two, and you're at best with three. Maybe you should forget two and just focus your energies on two and three, one and three. And that brings in an element of coaching. That brings in an element of, you know, success for the for the person involved, and that really would help. Even managers in many, many ways. Yeah, yeah, it's really powerful. And again, it, the, the the value then, uh, you know, you're bringing to the to the business with that sort of information is is extremely powerful. Another use case where you know, let's say somebody joined us uh, from a customer organization. In a large organization of mine, I would not know who the person is. Yeah. So you know, I was talking about an organization like ours, which we have you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and we're trying to sell into a large customer. Normally, the salesperson goes there and makes a pitch and there's a sales involved. But when we see ONA and we look at data on ONA, we find that there are one or two people who have come from that organization or knew the organization in the past. Now I can use their relationship and their strength to sell into the organization. Now I would not have been able to do that if I had not looked at the ONA data. And that's again very powerful when I want to sell. Basically you get the best of the organization no matter where it lies, whether it lies in sales, or whether it lies in a person, ex person in delivery, it doesn't matter. We get the best so that we're able to make a good case to the organization that we want to sell. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in many respects, you know, as HR professionals, we've, we're only in the early stages of using network analysis uh, and really understanding the power that it can give. But I think those examples are, you know, definitely areas where I think it's worth investing further. So if we, if we look towards, um, 
few towards the future, um, and of course it's difficult to look towards the future too much at the moment, given all the uncertainty that's happening. What I'd be interested in, what, what gives you the most confidence about the future role uh, of HR in delivering value? If I look at it from a context of the IT services companies, and this is probably even applicable to all industries, there's a lot of digital work happening and it's all got accelerated with COVID. Now, what is digital? It's all about people, enabling people to make sure that they're able to work in the new environment, learn in the new environment, having sure that we have the right skills, right placement of people, and making sure that we transform teams and managers alike. So I see a huge part of HR in delivering this. Many organizations are really getting restructured to enable this at this point in time. Many systems and processes are coming in. And with cloud, I think it becomes all the more challenging because those organizations are learning almost by the day. How are we able to keep up to that? And we play a huge part in making sure that that transformation happens seamlessly. Uh, the other area I kind of look at is uh, how, how do I digitize a lot of stuff that I do? How do I digitize recruitment? How do I digitize training on demand, in person, which can be, again, hyper-personalized? How do I ensure that, that the right skill is available to the right team? And all of this plays a big part in the transformation. So I would think that we're going to get busy with some of these areas in helping organizations transform digitally. And that will be true for every organization out there. Yeah, and as you said, um, the speed in which we're going to be doing that is probably even quicker now, thanks to thanks to COVID. And what you know, if you if you look at the HR function, HR field as a whole, what, what gives you the most concern about our ability to to actually deliver on that promise? First and foremost, I think we need to ensure that we have the right teams to do all of this. Right? And I think in some places we do, and some places we don't. Like like it is always. Second, I think uh, end of the day. People, like I said earlier, people have to be hands-on. I don't see that happening very often. Most people would like to not get into it. I'm also concerned about how people are able to adapt to new skills, learn new skills, because I'm seeing less of that happening. And more than anything else, I see this is a huge area of my concern. There are a bunch of data available with many companies out there, but there are very few people to use it. You know, even within a, even within my own function, I see that in some tools that I go in, there are very few people who log in and get the data out of it. Fantastic tools. But if you're not going to use it, it's as good as not going anywhere. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a huge area, uh, a lot of areas of improvement, I think, in our field as a whole, that's for sure. Um, and maybe this leads nicely onto the question we're asking all our guests on the show in this series. It's very much, I guess, related to, to some of that acceleration that, that COVID is, is, is bringing. Now, what can HR leaders do to help their their organizations, you know, for the future where there will be a, an increase in remote and hybrid working? What are some of the things that HR could do to help? One of the things that I saw most companies doing, including us, was we spent a lot of time in employee care, mental and physical well-being. That's an area which we cannot stop. We accelerated the product to really high up at the beginning of COVID, but, you know, I think that has to go on because people still need the help as such. Two is that I see that the hybrid work is here to stay, which means ability to work at home and out of office is going to remain 
and therefore enabling our teams to do that, making sure that they're able to do that seamlessly will be a big, big part in making sure the success happens eventually. And the third point I think is that uh, all said and done today, talent has become global post-COVID. I'm able to hire somebody sitting in, in Austria in, in Europe for a project sitting in India because I know the person can work out of his home or her home. And the same thing with, uh, you know, biggest skill gap is, which is there in, in the world today is in the valley. And I see that that's going to change because now you can have anybody working out of any place and delivering almost the same output. And that's going to be a huge change in the way we're going to use talent and, and deploy talent. And I think that's a big role to play. And I think many, very few companies have done that. Most of the companies I've seen have done that in the valley. But I see that that's going to become uniform across the world. And you may see labor moving from different markets, therefore, wherever the best labor is available or best talent is available, we'll end up ensuring that people go and pick it up. And I guess, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, I think, even in, you know, the first few months of the crisis, is that employee preferences are changing. You know, once people work from home, or so not all people, but some people work from home, they quite enjoy the flexibility around that. So, so companies are, are going to have to respond to that, aren't they? And, and as you said, listen to employees, not just about wellness, but also about where they want to work and how they want to balance the working at home versus working in the office. Absolutely. I can take my own example. I never thought I could work at home. But today, I'm sure I can work at home. You know, pre-COVID, we had a policy where we said that we allow people to work once a day at home. And now I'm sure that's going to come in for a change. And we're going to, we're still not going to lose out. We're probably going to get better. Yeah, I think we might move to a future where, you know, some companies, some, some roles, some people, that instead of being the day working from home, it will be the day working in the office, perhaps. You know, so <laughs> a big shift from, from where we are. Well, Renault, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Um, you know, thanks for being a, you know, a, thanks, thanks for sharing your expertise and, and ex some brilliant examples with our listeners. How can listeners stay in touch with you and uh, follow you on social media? I'm on LinkedIn mostly, so anybody can reach out to me on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to reach out to me by, by email, it's renil, R-E-N-I-L dot Kumar, K-U-M-A-R at gmail.com. Well, Renal, thank you very much for your time and uh, stay safe and stay well. Thanks a lot, David. It's been my pleasure too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. We'll be taking a short break before we return soon. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.